the church that Jesus built? How many want to be the church Jesus built? How many want to be the church man builds? No. Unless it's the church Jesus built. Unless he's subcontracted by Jesus to do it, right? But we're continuing. Week one, we, were, we talked about building on the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. That was our, that was our topic. And, you know, when he talked to Peter in Matthew 16, he said, Peter, he says, you're, you're Peter, Petros, but he said, I'm building on Petra. Maybe that's the other way around. But one is, just means a small stone. The other means the foundation rock. A lot of people think, well, Peter was the foundation of the church. No, he's not. Jesus is the foundation of the church. Jesus is the foundation. He's the bedrock. He's the foundational piece. Every other church or, or whatever ministry is, is built upon that bedrock of who Jesus is if he's involved. See, the church Jesus built is based upon the fact that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. Week two, last week, we talked about how the church operates through unity. And the supernatural power that resides in unity. In Psalm 133, God said, there is where I send my blessing. So if you, want, if you need blessing in your home, blessing in your business, make sure there's unity because that's where God sends the blessing. He's not going to send it where there's strife and disunity. And if you've got an issue with discord or strife, you better make it right, okay? Let's don't waste time and, you know, waste good, valuable time and energy and resources trying to fight among each other. You know, in James chapter 4, it says, why are there wars among us? Why, why are there wars? Why is there discord? It's because he says you're selfish. You want your own way. You want, you know, I want what you have. And so what do we do? We fight and we war among each other. And he says he's not having any part of that. So unity, and we looked at how unity results in the supernatural moving of God in our midst. And today I wanted to look at how the church is supposed to be a victorious church. We're not supposed to be a weak, limping along, wounded, broken church. And let me tell you, I mean, you know, we, we've said before, people get broken, right? But you know what? People get healed. Jesus said in Luke 4.18, he said, I came to heal those who have been crushed by life's calamities. But too often what we want to do is we want to live in our brokenness. We've taken on an identity of brokenness rather than the identity of the victorious church. And if we walk around thinking we're broken, we're victims all day long, what are we going to do? We're going to act like a victim. So when the devil comes up to us and, we, and, and you know, he's right in our face, and what are we going to say? Oh, I'm sorry, devil, but I was broken. Remember what happened to me when I was 6 and 5 and 4 and 20 and 40? And the devil's going to eat our lunch, isn't he? But we have to stand up for who God, what God says we are, and he says that we are victorious. He says we are more than a conqueror. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get the healing you need. We believe in that here. You get the healing you need, but always with, a, with the end goal of being restoration. Don't get addicted to counseling, okay? Don't get addicted to counseling. When I was at Gordon-Conwell, they said four times, if you haven't helped them in four times, you're not going to help them. That's what they said. Because then it gets to where it becomes, so many times the counselor has a need to be needed. So we have to be able to, we have to, be able to recognize all of that. So we want to get out of that. And, and, you know, the, and Jesus also said that the powers of hell will not prevail or conquer or overcome the church. Who is the church here? It's not this building. It's us, right? We're the church. Jesus says the powers of hell will not overcome you. The powers of hell will not conquer you. They're not going to overpower you if you know who you are. If we're walking in that identity. How many want to walk in the identity? I want to be victorious, don't you? You know, we, we shouldn't have things lingering and lingering and lingering. The Holy Spirit's going to give us resolution on these things. We shouldn't be walking in bondage for years and years and years because the enemy wants to, he wants to keep us trapped. And you're never going to do what God's called you to do if you're walking in weakness. Okay? Okay? So we have to be strong. And so the church is no stronger than the components that are in it. If you have a, a chain, it's only as strong as the weakest link, isn't it? So the church is no stronger than the components. Who are the components? Us. We're the components, so we need to be strong. So there's a system called church, which is an organization, but there's also a life-bearing entity called Jesus' church. The system called church operates on religious practice. It operates in a very straight structure, and there's nothing wrong with structure. Naomi Dowdy says structure facilitates the moving of Holy Spirit. I love that. But not so much that it chokes. We don't want to choke. We don't want to choke the presence of God. I said a moment ago, sometimes we get in too big a hurry. 
Okay, God, you got from 10.15 to 10.20. We got all these people. Come on, come on, let's get, it. let's get healed. Let's get set free. And many, what did he tell Moses? Just come and be with me. How many of us would have waited six days on God to call us to the top of the mountain? Six minutes? Maybe six hours? How about six days? Just sitting and go, God, when are you going to call me? When are you going to call me? But there's a life force that's called the church, and that's the church that Jesus built. And it's the, the remnant, the church Jesus built, that operates in that same overcoming power that raised him from the dead. That's the word of God. We have the same power in us that raised Christ from the dead. And so for a church to be overcoming, the individuals within need to be overcoming. And the church can never rise above the strength of its people. When I talk, I'm not talking about impact. I'm talking about the church at large. The church can never rise above the strength of its people. So the church is no stronger than its weakest link when it's given notoriety. You know what I'm saying? So the church was never, listen to this, never intended to be a passive organization. The church was never intended to be a pa- Am I going to make some people mad this morning? The church was never intended to be a passive organization. The church was intended to be a movement to help establish the kingdom of God in the earth. That's what's wrong in our nation today. Why do we have the stuff going on in our nation? It's because the church has not been, the, the movement has been, it's been passive and we've been asleep. While we were sleeping, all this stuff happened. I told you several months ago, I was walking through my house and the Lord kept saying, while the church was sleeping, while the church was sleeping, while the church was sleeping, we murdered 60 million children. While the church was sleeping, schools came under the influence of the enemy. We took Bible out of the schools. We took Bible out while the church was sleeping. But the church is the authorized agent of the kingdom of God in the earth. You have been authorized by God to expand his kingdom wherever you go. That's what ecclesia is all about. See, it's not what happens in here is wonderful, but we come in here, we get equipped to go out and do the work of ministry. Ephesians 4 tells us that. We get equipped to go out and do the work of ministry. You were called to make a difference wherever you might be, wherever you might go. And that's not an in-your-face, arrogant type thing. We're not talking about that. We carry the love of God. We carry, we carry a solution for people. People need a solution to their brokenness. People need a solution when they're struggling with addiction. People need a solution when their son and daughters. We had a call this weekend from someone whose whose daughter, a son, just kind of went, you know, got off on the deep end with some stuff he had taken and got in his car and went across the country. We helped her to be able to retrieve him, and now he's getting some help that he needs. There needs to be a solution for. And you know what she said? Would you pray? Would you just pray? So that was what we did. We prayed, and you know what? They found him. And that wasn't by happenstance. That wasn't by happenstance. So you and I are supposed to mean something when we go outside these doors. We're supposed to touch lives like Jesus would touch lives, right? But you know, the, the other thing we have to remember is that the church was destined for opposition. The church from the very beginning was destined for opposition. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it said, this is the Lord speaking to the devil, and he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head, you will strike his heel. So from the very beginning, he's saying there's going to be two kingdoms established and there's going to be problems between the two of you. There's going to be opposition between the two of you. From the very beginning, God told the devil that. Matthew eleven twelve it says, And from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Let me tell you what the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says about forcefully advancing. It says, it's, it's contentious opponents who attack or hamper the kingdom and snatch it away from others. He says, from the time that the kingdom was introduced with John the Baptist, he said, There's going to be, there has been opposition. So we, we, why, do we, why are we uncomfortable when we think that people don't like us? Acts 14, 21 says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers of them now. What are the, what are the afflictions of the, the king? The tribulations is the fact that we're warring against another kingdom. There's a kingdom, and when you're sold out to Christ, let me tell you something, there's a war going on inside of you. It's the, it's the same war that Eve had, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. I want what you have. 
I want what I don't have. And boy, that would make me look good. And so we're warring at the flesh against the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God. And so what does it take to become a part of the kingdom or the church that Jesus builds? Is it just sign your name on the dotted line? There's nothing wrong with that. Is it to attend services, join the choir, make a donation? What does Jesus say is required to be a part of his church? Well, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, if any of you want to be a part of my church, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Well, what does that mean to take up our cross? Well, what is a cross used for? Crucifixion. So what Jesus is saying, you've got to sell out to God's plan and, and, and to his purposes. He's saying that you to crucify, your, to crucify every part of yourself where self-will remains. He's saying it means to get rid of self-gratification, self-glorification, and self-fulfillment. Now let me tell you something. You say, well, what, what is left? You know what's left? The, the greatest thing in the world is serving God. You can never be fulfilled outside of having a relationship with God. You might think you're fulfilled. You might think you're even successful. But outside of that relationship with God, you, don't, you cannot even begin to know what it means to be fulfilled outside of that relationship with Him. And the rest is nothing compared to knowing Him. Your gifts and your talents were given to you by God. He's the one that's going to open doors for you to use your gifts and talents. He's the one that's going to give you that opportunity. Fulfill that destiny that you've called to fulfill. See, God, God has your plan. He has your welfare in mind. It's, you know, when they carried that horizontal beam of a cross, it meant they were on their way to death, and, and that was a place where there was mockery, scorn, and ridicule. Is the church not being ridiculed and mocked today? Are you, have you ever been mocked and ridiculed as a Christian? I hope so. If not, your light's not shining enough. <laughs> right? You know, when you go to work, does anybody know you're a believer? When you walk into a group of people, does anybody know you're different? Yes, the answer is yes. Carrying one's, carrying one's cross indicates self-denial and putting the will of God first. You know, in Matthew 15, right after Jesus told Peter, he said, Boy, Peter, you've got this great revelation. He said, That's where I'm going to build my church, on that revelation. And then a few verses down, Jesus, it says, Jesus began to tell the disciples what was in store for him. That he had to go to the cross. He had to suffer the ridicule and the shame. And what did Peter do? The one who just had the great revelation. Oh, no, Jesus, you can't do that. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Now, he wasn't, Peter wasn't Satan, but the spirit that was driving Peter was Satan. Because what Peter was trying to do was to abort the destiny. Jesus came to die on the cross. And see, many times if we're not careful, we can allow good, well-meaning people to abort our destiny of what God truly has for us. Oh, Jesus, you could never go to the cross. He said, I came to go to the cross. I died to go to the cross. Matthew 10, 38 says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. Jesus was hard. We wouldn't want to say that today. It might offend some people. Jesus didn't have any trouble offending people. Right? He says, if you don't bear your cross, you're not even worthy to be called a disciple. Matthew 7, 13. This is the one I told you last week. A friend of mine said this verse scares her. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It's not, it's not a road paved with entertainment and, and, and these good feelings. You know, that's not what serving Christ is all about. I'm telling you, you're going to feel better than you ever felt serving the Lord. But let me tell you one thing. It's not in the ways of the world. I had a dream last night. I was telling the prayer team this morning. I had a dream last night. I dreamed that I was in my car, which you know, in dreams represent ministry. And I had gone to this location, and I got to the place I was going, which I'm not sure how significant that place is. But then I thought, okay, it's time to turn around and come back home. So in... But for some reason, I said, I don't know how to get back home. So in my car has a little panel, and I, I put it in the GPS, you know, put my address in the GPS, and this beautiful picture comes up that shows me the map home. But the thing it did, it showed me two paths. And on my screen, it says, you choose. 
One path was, had an interstate markings, which was a wide road. The other path was a narrow road that was like this. And I got in my car, and I chose that narrow path. And I thought later waking up, and then I, then I was gone that quickly. And I thought when I woke, awoke, I thought, you know, the, the highway, the interstate's the path most people travel. That's the path most people travel. And I think God has called us, just this scripture, he's called us to walk the narrow path. He's called us to walk the path where most people won't walk. Most people refuse to walk. Even good people that love God. There's just a part that they, they will not carry. A path they will not walk. So we have to want to follow Jesus more than we want to follow anything else. We have to want to follow him more than we want to follow a career. You know what? Jesus will fulfill your career. How many of you have been in careers to realize that you really were in the wrong career? At 40 years of age, I realized I was in the wrong career. I was successful in my career, but I knew that wasn't where God had called me. God has a way of realigning. He has a way of redirecting our path if we will allow him. But let me tell you, was it easy to leave that career? Absolutely not. When you've got a six-figure income and things are going well, and he's saying, give it up. And I'm thinking, okay, God, what's my next six-figure income replacement? Zilch, nothing, silence. And you better know God has told you to do that. You better know he has told you to do that. So what I got the next month was diagnosis of breast cancer. You know what? God was there. He was incredible. The grace of God. He provided, didn't he? We said we can't understand God's math. Can't understand his math, how it works. But if the way is so hard, how do we become victorious Christians if that way is so hard? It's hard on the flesh. But when the heart is so sold out to God, that's why unless you're sold out, you can't do it. Because the flesh is going to trip you up, trip us up. If we're not sold out to God in our heart, if we don't love Him more than we love anything else in our life, the flesh will trip us up. Our flesh is our enemy. But I believe there's also, I believe Paul gave us a formula. I believe Paul gave us a formula, and it's found in Philippians chapter 3. I love this portion of Scripture, and it's very familiar to you. And I just want to look at, you know, I've taught on it a couple of times, but I've never really torn it apart like I'm doing right today. I've never seen it this way until this week. It's interesting how God will just download things. He downloaded, well, actually, I I was awakened yesterday morning, and he downloaded this in like 60 seconds. And I'm thinking, wow, God, that's cool. I never saw that before. Never saw that before. But in Philippians chapter 3, he says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let us all who are spiritually mature agree on this. this. If you disagree on some point, God's going to clear it up. Paul's pretty bold too, wasn't he? He said, this, he's not just saying this is what I think. He said, this is the fact. If you don't agree, God's going to fix it for you. you know. And then he says, but, if we, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. So I believe in this portion of Scripture, Paul is giving us a formula so to speak, five points, you know, I'm a teacher, five points, okay, of how we can live victoriously. And how many want to live victoriously again? If you do these five things, if I do these five things, we are going to be more than conquerors. We're going to be overcomers, okay? Got a pen? Write it down. Bring your notebooks with you, okay? All right, number one, he said, remember, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. In other words, remember, I'm not there yet. That's the point I have. You're not there yet. You know, how many think you're there yet? Good. Nobody raised their hand. You're not there yet. If you were there yet, you'd be, you'd be seeing him face to face. That's when we get there. So we, we are a work in progress. We have to remember we're a work in progress. And Philippians 1, 6 says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue the work until it's finally finished on the day that Jesus returns. So he's saying, I'm going to continue doing the work I began, and it's not going to end until you see Jesus. So we're all a work in progress, which means give each other some slack. Okay? Be, be long-suffering. Give each other a little grace. None of us have arrived, right? So hopefully we're a little further along than we were last week. Hope, you know, today is my 40-year anniversary for being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm so excited about that. 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 40 years. 
I was telling the prayer team, I said, I wish I could say I had been faithful to his voice for all 40 years. But, uh, but he's so gracious, gracious and merciful. You know, who is it in my dream that gave me the GPS? That's the Holy Spirit. He says, you've got two paths you choose. You can go the path that most people travel, or you can go the path least traveled, the straight and the narrow or the wide way. The wide way. So we have to understand that we have not arrived yet. Philippians 2.16 says, Hold firmly to the word of life, then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain. In other words, what we're saying is we don't arrive until we see him. We're going to be a continual work in progress. He said, If any of you think you stand, take heed lest you fall, right? In other words, let's don't get arrogant. Let's don't get egotistical. Let's don't think we have all... Does anybody here have all the answers? No. Nobody has all the answers. I was, uh, I was talking to, I think Miss Deborah was talking about a class she taught one time and involved the rapture. And I said, you know, I can prove all three points of the rapture out of Scripture. I can take all three points and prove them by Scripture. And so we went to a uh, debate one time with Dr. Michael Brown and Dr. James White, and it was on uh, uh, predestination. And they both used the same Scripture for their debate points. So, you know, we have to be careful that we're, you know, we're not thinking we have a right and we have all the answers. Many times we see through a lens. And that lens will help, that lens will kind of uh, process or whatever causes us to feel a certain way. Many times that lens is shaped by our experiences and our problems, our, death, our, our brokenness in the past or our successes even. And we can look at life through a lens and we see it only a certain way. Well, this is the lens we have to look through. That's why Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Study to show yourself approved. Aren't you glad the Word is a living Word? Don't we love the Word of God? Yes, we love it in here. Okay. And Galatians 6, 9 says, don't get tired of doing what is good. In other words, don't, don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing good. Just keep on keeping on. Don't get tired and give up too soon. Don't get tired. You know, the, the, we have to understand that until we see him, he's going to be continually improving us. And we're going to be transformed into his image. 1 John 3, 6 says, Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. How many people have you seen start out the race only to be tripped up? Remember what I said, when we're sold out to God, the flesh won't trip us. When we're not sold out to God, the flesh will cause us to compromise. He says, if you continue to live in him, you will not sin. These are some hard scriptures, by the way. Let me give you a harder one. But anyone who keeps on sinning doesn't know him. That means you can come to church and keep on sinning. He says, you've never known him. That's tough, isn't it? It's the truth. The truth will set you free, right? 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friend, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. So love is, a, love is kind of a barometer. It's sort of our litmus test of where we're, how we're doing with God. And if we don't love, then we don't know God. Because God is only love. We looked a couple of weeks ago. It says God is only light. There is no darkness at all. So if we're out hanging out with darkness, we think we're a believer. You can't hang out with darkness on Saturday, be in church on Sunday morning, and think God's light's going to just fill you up, right? His light will, he'll, he will convict you. So we have to repent and follow after. We have to have a heart for God. That's the main thing. So remember, you're not there yet, okay? Whether you're 20 or whether you're 89, as Miss Annie will be 90 in September. She's still at work in progress. Incredible spiritual mama. We love her. We do love her. Okay, that was number one. Number two, he said, focus on this one thing. So, so the number two point is you've got to focus where you are going and not where you have been. Focus where you're going and not where you've been. Focus where you're going and not where you have been. Forget the past, he said, and looking forward to what lies ahead. If we're constantly focusing on the past, we're going to relive the past. We've got to let go of the past. Colossians 1.13 says he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. So in other words, you used to be a resident of darkness. Now you're a resident of the kingdom, Right? How many lived in another... Lynn used to be a resident. He's going to be a resident soon of Kentucky. He's not going to call back here about September and want to pay his property taxes, is he? So, no, he shouldn't because he's no longer a resident of Concord. But he's going to be a resident of Kentucky. See, we're now residents of the kingdom of God. We don't owe anything to the devil. He has nothing in us or he should not have anything in us. 
Hebrews 6, 1 says, So let us go on, let us, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again and again and again. You let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. See, if you've been a believer 40 years, you need to get the passy out of your mouth and get the pampers off. Right? Quit sucking on the passy. Get some meat of the Word in you. Understand what the Word of God says. You shouldn't be walking around for 20 years dealing with the same old problems, right? You still shouldn't be mad at somebody who hurt your feelings a year ago or two years ago or 10 years ago. you got to let it go, right? And get into forgiveness. Let's, let's quit sucking on that passy, okay? <laughs> Hebrews 11, 15 and 16 says, And if their heart... Listen, this is, a, this is an important scripture. I love this scripture. They're talking about the children of Israel who were constantly looking back and, oh, God, look at the leeks, the onions, the garlic we're missing. You know, sometimes when you come out of darkness, you might look back and say, man, I miss, I miss those days at the club. I miss those days doing this with my buddies. Well, let me tell you, this is what this scripture says. If their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. If you're constantly looking to what you left in the kingdom of darkness, you're going to find an opportunity to go back to it. And the devil's going to give you that opportunity. But they couldn't turn back to their heart. They couldn't turn back for their hearts were fixed on what was greater. You, you understand what I'm saying? If you're looking at what's greater, you're not concerned about what you left behind. We should, you know, when I became a believer, it was so radical. Everything in my past life looked like garbage, and I and I was like, "Ooh, how did I ever participate in those? How did I ever hang out with those people? How did I ever go to these places? It was like going to a garbage can and having lunch. It was so bad." But see, that's because light came in, the darkness left. That's because my heart now was on fire. for I love God with all my heart. I didn't want to do anything that displeased Him. One of my friends told me one time, she said, you repent more than any person I've ever known. And I said, that's because I sin probably more. I don't want to take a chance. I don't want to take a chance with a bad attitude, do you? I can't take a chance on, on having a heart of unforgiveness or resentment in my life. I can't take a chance. And I'd rather repent and not need it than need it and not repent. Wouldn't you? We've got to make a choice to come out of the past and leave behind the wounds. The kingdom of darkness represents bondage. What part of that do you want? We don't want any of that, right? Keep focused on the light. Keep focused on freedom. We've been rescued from that. We've got to get rid of these mundane elementary philosophies and teachings and get into the meat of the Word. You know, we should be laying hands on the sick and they recover. We should be casting out devils instead of children trying to deal with them. Well, you really need to forgive them. And they think they got resentment in their heart. I'm going to go out here and lay hands on somebody and the devil's going to come out. And it ain't, that devil's going to attack the devil in you is what's going to happen. Because that's what unforgiveness is. It's of the enemy. I saw something this morning on Facebook and it said something about if... if if I, I, if I, if I, if you don't like me, it's only because my personality irritates your demons or something like that. It's really cute. But it, it's because something in me irritates your demons. That's why you don't like me, right? I thought that was really cute. I guess I'm the only one. Okay. Psychologists, listen to this. There's another reason we need to quit going back and revisiting things. I mean, there's, you can get healed. I'm not talking about that. Get healed. You all know what I mean. Luke 14, get healed. But psychologists tell us we can get wrong therapy and instead of moving past the painful event, when we revisit it, it causes us to deteriorate in the wrong direction. Instead of moving forward, we're moving backwards. The reason for this is because evidence shows that trauma memories are very difficult to accurately recall and most people will add to the severity of the events. Don't ignore, but trust God to heal and move on. Get your healing. That's important. You need to get your healing. But if you're still nursing the same old wounds that happened when you know 40 years ago, get healed. Get healed. Quit reinforcing that, that, that event in your life. So we have to forgive. And many times this forgiveness is the key. The thing that locks us into the past is our unforgiveness toward events or someone who hurt us. And we stay in the past. I remember what you did. I remember what you said. I've, I've dealt with couples and they say, I forgive him and I forgive her. And then they get in the next armor. You remember what you did? I said, I thought you forgave them. Well, you know, we can't keep bringing it up. Number three, that was number two. We beat on that one a little bit. Number three, press on and don't quit. 
Paul said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So we have to press on and don't quit. What we do first, we know, we know we've not arrived. Number two, we focus on what's ahead. Then we just press on. We got our eyes on the prize. We keep going. We keep going. We keep going. We don't allow ourselves to get tripped up. First uh, Corinthians, this was our theme, I think, for 2017. Run to win. It says, isn't it obvious that all runners on the racetrack keep on running to win? Keep on running to win. But only one receives the victor's prize. Yet each one of you must run the race to be victorious. You've got to run the race to be victorious. If you stop along the way, what's going to happen? The race is over for you. You never fail until you quit. You never fail until you get up, you learned your lesson. What have I learned in this situation? Okay, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you teaching me about me? You know, if I have an issue with my husband, I'll say, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me about him? I remember one time I was praying for him. He wasn't doing something I liked, and I was just, oh, just, God, just change this, change that. And God said, what about you? And I said, I'm talking about him. And the, and the Lord said to me, well, you deal with this, and I think that'll take care of itself, and that's exactly what happened. He wasn't as bad as I thought he was. So we have to deal with ourselves. We keep on running. We keep on running in the race. We never stop. Philippians 2.16 again says, Hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly to the word of life. You've got to hold on to the word. There's a story over in, I think it's Exodus 17, I believe it is, where the children of Israel had come out of bondage and they went to this little place called Rephidim. And Rephidim in the Hebrew means to loosen your grip. And it's a Hebrew idiom, which means to loosen your grip on the Torah. To loosen your grip on the Torah. So they got to a place called Rephidim. If you're in the New Testament, if you love the New Testament, a lot of these names reveal what God is, the message God's really trying to give us. So they got to this place called Rephidim, and they lost their grip on the Torah because they started complaining to God because I don't have any water. Did you bring us here to die? They began to accuse Moses. So they lost their grip on the word. They lost their grip on the promise. So God had Moses hit the rock with a stick. You know the story. Well, if you go over to chapter, I think it's 19 or so, we see again this, this place comes up again. And this time it says that the children were coming out of, out of the wilderness of sin. And they, had, and they were going... Oh, by the way, let me back up. When they went into verse, uh, chapter 17, I think, it says they went in stages. They went into Rephidim in stages, one of the translations. And what that means is, so you don't just quit believing the Word of God all at once. You don't just get up one morning and think, I don't think I'm going to believe this anymore. It happens in stages. As things happen to us in life, as we get disappointments in life, suddenly, well, why didn't God heal Aunt Susie? Why didn't God provide this need? Why is God doing this? Why is God doing that? See, And suddenly we begin to say, well, I just don't know if it's even true anymore or not. But then if you get over, I believe it's 19, it says they came out from Rephidim and they went into the wilderness. And that, means they were, that meant they were coming out of that place of they were tightening their grip back on the word. They met the Malachites, I believe it is, and God gave them complete victory because they came out of that place of distrusting God to the place of trusting him again. But it says they came out of there and into the wilderness of sin. Now, wilderness means humility. And that's where a lot of the church is missing because we have to humble ourselves and say, God, I may not have all the answers, but I'm trusting your word. It may not make any sense for me to forgive Johnny for what he did to me, but you know what? I'm trusting your word, and I'm going to take you at your word, and I need healing in my life. And so we have to, take, we have to grab hold of that and humble ourselves to do that. That was a side note, okay? So uh, Philippians, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain. Would it be horrible to get to the end of your days and know you ran your race in vain because you lost grip of the word of God in your life? Every difficulty is an opportunity in disguise. And we have to look at the problems, look at the struggles we go through. God, what is the opportunity in this? It's an opportunity in disguise if we will allow it. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four thirteen, the one that endures to the end is the one that will be saved. 
one that endures to the end. We cannot quit. Number four, this I love this one. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Number four is we've got to grow up. I mentioned that a moment ago. Throw out the passage, get rid of the pampers, let's grow up. Let's get our big boy and big girl pants on, and let's move on with God, okay? Let's quit, need, let's quit having to run somewhere to get into a prayer line. I mean, if you need prayer, we want you to pray. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that. You know I believe in prayer. The Bible talks about prayer. But that, you know, what is God saying to you? What is God wanting you to do? Have you, have you applied the word to your life? Is your, wor- is your life in order with the word? Don't come asking for a blessing if you're living in sin, right? I just read to you in 1 John, it says if you're sinning, you're not going to, you know, you've never known him. Right, so we've we got to suck it up and move on. We, we've got to grow up. We've got to have an attitude of mature believers. Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's the mature. 1 Timothy 4.7, Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tale. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Everybody's arguing over this or that or whatever. We, got, we, need to, we need to grow up, don't we? Is it really worth the time? It creates a lot of animosity. And then it says, instead, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. That's going to take some time and some effort. And then Luke eight fourteen it says, The seed that falls into weeds represent the heart of those who hear the word of God, but their growth is quickly choked off by their own anxious cares. The riches of the world, the fleeting pleasure of the life, this is why they never become mature and fruitful. Why is it some believers never grow fruit or never produce fruit? They're not mature. They're not mature because they've allowed the anxieties, the cares of life to choke out their fruitfulness. And everything else is more important. Everything else is more important. There's nothing more important than God. Number five, number five, he says, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. In other words, stand firm. Don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. We have to understand that we, we, when, we, when we make progress in the kingdom, make progress in our life, we cannot go backwards. What if we slip? We get up and we go again. We get up and we go again. Terry had a revelation from God. when I remember he, he told this years ago in, in one of the little Bible studies we were doing. He said he used to always think that he was plodding along with God, and then he slipped. And what did he have to do? He'd go all the way back over here and start all over again. But he said, God, showed him, no, you don't. Just get up from where you're at. You know, I'm not making you do penance. Religion makes you do penance. God says, I'm here to restore and to build. And we need to extend that same grace to people, don't we? How many haven't slipped? I don't know any that haven't slipped. Or they probably won't slip yet. But we need to extend grace and love. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Remember to stay alert and hold firmly to all that you believe. Hold firmly to what you've been taught. Be mighty and full of courage. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15, With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teachings we passed on to you. Teaching the Word is important. Ephesians 6.13, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be still standing firm. What is your armor? You've got to know what your armor is. You've got to know where you can go, what you can't go. You've got to know where, what your limitations are. You've got to know your own boundaries. You know, I tell people all the time, if you, gotta, if you struggle with alcohol, don't go hanging out in the bar to witness to people. I mean, that's, that's not wisdom, right? That's not wisdom. So we, we have to use common sense. So we want to stand firm. You know yourself what your weaknesses are. I say it all the time. I get stressed out. I go to the ice cream. When I, I don't go down to the kitchen, stand in front of the freezer while I'm trying to overcome my problems. I've done that. And I lost. Seriously. Seriously. So we have to know what our limitations are. We stand firm. We don't want to go backwards. We don't want to go backwards. And let me tell you, what you don't discipline will discipline you in the end. What you don't discipline will discipline you in the end. Whether it's finances, drugs, food, whatever it might be. Eventually, it'll discipline you. So to put on every piece of God's armor, we have to stand firm. Let's stand. Let's stand firm, okay?
Did y'all write those five points down? I saw some of you writing. If you want to be victorious, you've got to do it God's way. We have to do it God's way. This is the same word for me as it is for you. I don't care if your name is Billy Graham or he's not very active right now. <laughs> he was. Who's active right now? I don't even know anymore. Rick Joyner? Who's some of these great people? Oh, Bill Johnson? He has to do it the same way. He has to do it the same way. The Word of God doesn't have favorites. It doesn't have favorites. Pastor Thant, come tell that word you told me this morning. I just remembered. Where's Mike? That was an awesome word, talking about favorites. You know, God doesn't have favorites except for us. Yeah, so I was just, um, and, and I've just been hearing some more as I've been sitting here. And um, this is a house of favor, you know, because you love God and he loves you. Um, I got to the parking lot, you know, and I parked and I thought, man, the city built this church a parking lot. That's exactly you know? right. And uh, then I, and I, I walked through the steps and I came down and I just heard, you know, just in my spirit, can you say the word favor? And so I said it, you know, I said it. And uh, I really believe that this is a house of favor. You know, most of y'all probably know, but just, let's see, right over here, you got to go that direction and go down a little bit and there's a spring water there that comes up and I know that you know that's a a natural thing but hey you can't inherit the kingdom of God unless you're born by water and by blood right right? and that's right and you're buried with Jesus so that old life can stay there and raised up in newness of life in water right and so I think that is a physical manifestation of a spiritual principle and, you know, I just want to be sensitive and under the authority of the pastor that's here. But I really want to say something to you this morning. There's a, there's a depth that you haven't yet touched personally in God. Yes, yes. Listen, you ain't seen all of God yet. You, he's done miracles, but you ain't tapped him out yet. Yeah. You, really, you just getting started. You figuring out how to get started, and that goes on a personal level. But you have to do things together, like the body, like you're yes. you're preaching and teaching on. It takes the body to do, you know, to get to the glory of God, to that's get right. really. That's and right. and I think he always holds back a little bit more. So he's like, "Yeah, you think that's all?" And he's like, "No, I got some more for that's you." Right. But I think you're on that pathway, and uh, I just want to encourage you, you know, to be. Uh, to understand uh, what vic- victory really looks like. Sometimes it's hard to get there. The steps are difficult. But to know what it really looks like, that's the person that keeps going towards the Lord yes. no matter yes. what. That's the victorious person. And there's great favor on you here. And I just would like to share just with a couple people. Uh, Susan, those are your granddaughters there. Yes. Yes. Miley. Molly. Molly. Lily. Lily. Okay, okay. So for both of you young ladies, so here's the thing. You know, God is looking at you as the distinct individuals that you are. You don't have to measure up to anybody else's expectations except Jesus's. And I see both of you are called, you know, you love him. You love him. He loves you. You know that. To serve him in non-traditional ways. You know, the traditional way might be to become a preacher or whatever, you know. But but you're unique to him, both of you. And so just follow that path that he puts you on and do what he's called you to do. Because I love traditions. We just had, what, the 4th of July is a great tradition. I love the flyovers and the fireworks and all. But sometimes traditions are made to make the Word of God none affect man's traditions are. So non-traditional, I just heard that word. You know, it might be that you're a teacher, a doctor. I don't know what it means, but 
God will direct your steps, right? So just just walk around and say, I got favor. I got favor in my life. Awesome word. Um, is this row right here the second row? Are all y'all together? I mean, y'all y'all family. <laughs> so there's the patriarch. Yeah. And the matriarch, patriarch. And the matriarch. So really, I want you, young man, young sir, to be encouraged. That's your woman right there. A woman of God. A help me. Except, except help me don't mean exactly what we think it does sometimes, right? Because Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was a comforter, a helper. That's right. That's right. Woman of God, you know, stretch out and pray your man through. Because I see something coming into your life that is beyond your expectation. I real, I see you flying in like a private jet. Like a, I don't know if you want to fly, if you want to be a pilot. No, if somebody's going to fly you, you're just sitting in the back going where you need to go. But I believe that God wants to really increase, increase, and, and to raise you up as a role model. You know, you're looking up to other role models, you know, but God wants you to be a role model, too. And uh, could you just, like, put your arm back around her? I, I, you'd like to do that anyway. <laughs> and just say, we got favor. Look at her and say, baby, we got favor. <laughs> And God will bless you in so many different ways. You know, I'll say this and quit. No, you It's good. dangerous you... to give a preacher a microphone. No, you're on a roll. I'll say this. So, so my baby's there 35 years we've been married. And uh, I got to put my arm. Yeah, let's praise the Lord. That took Jesus right there, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you did good. God you did, did good. good, yeah. And so I got to put my arm around her. You know, I was just thinking, thinking about favor. We got married, and, you know, we had the traditional thing where we came out, people hit us with rice and stuff. Anybody do that? You know what I'm saying? But before we got through that line, we began to see snow fall on us. And I'm not kidding you. There were flakes as big as 50-cent pieces just falling on us. It didn't really stick on the road. It didn't really mess anybody's travels up, you know. But it was just like favor of God can be in such the simplest yes. way Amen. but you have to recognize it and be grateful for it and expect it Amen. Amen. And there's, there's a favor that's on this church on this expression of the body of Christ and um, just let it grow in you you know just look at it and receive it and walk in it and expect it and enjoy it and let other people see it too you know Praise the Lord. Amen. Awesome word. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate you. Awesome. You know, what Pastor Thant said is so real. It was such an encouraging word today. This is, this is a, I told Terry, I said, there's something going to be special about today. Then I realized it was my anniversary of the Holy Spirit, but that's not really it. I had one of those every year. But there's something special about today. And as Pastor Thant talked about favor, that was a confirmation to me. The many words we've had spoken over the church. I remember when, when Todd Bentley was here in 2012, I think, or 2013, and he talked about the favor that was on the house for resurrection power to bring healing to those. He said those who have been medically declared dead will come into the place, and at the altar God will raise them up. That's, that's the word that was given over this house. He said ambulances will be lined up out at the front door. He gave that word. A few months later, I was in Dallas, and a, and a friend of mine who's from uh, Panama came up to me, and she said, Donna, the Lord just showed me ambulances in front of your church, and people are bringing in the sick that have been declared helpless and hopeless, and God is going to raise them up. See, that's favor on the house. That's supernatural favor, and that's on every one of you if you choose. You know, Pastor Than is the true evangelist, pastor, evangelist, Apostle, you're also a prophet. You, you just, you know, we hear the word prophesy and we think, how that's weird. What's going to happen? He just prophetically spoke over this house. 
prophesied God's perfect plan, His will for this house. If we believe the words of a prophetic person, it can it will come to pass. Thank you for that. That was like pouring gasoline on an ember that's burning, and it can almost you can almost see it just blazing up because you lit you just poured something on something that was already on fire and it's like it just blazed up i just felt that inside this is it's on fire now so thank you for that i want to ask you if you will pray for everyone here that they will walk in the favor that god has ordained that they walk in and then we're going to shift and we're going to take we're going to give you an opportunity to share in what's going on in here through your gifts. God, you've got such a perfect plan and a perfect destiny for every man and woman, young person, adult in this building, God. And God, you have favor that you've you've given to each of us. And God, so often we ignore your favor and your efforts to help us. But God, we open our arms wide this morning. And we accept the favor of God that has been poured upon us liberally. And God, we thank you for what you're doing, for what you're offering us, God, for what your Holy Spirit is doing. And God, thank you for the favor on everyone in this building, God, in their personal lives, in their marriages, in their jobs, in their business, in their spiritual walk, in their ministries, that we will walk with understanding in the favor of God that every step we take, We know it's the favor of God that's leading us and guiding us with an anticipation that your goodness is just there right with us and is always ahead of us. And you're blessing everything, God, that we're putting our hands to and is prospering. Thank you, God, for your favor. We can't exist without your favor. We can't live without your favor. We can't breathe without your favor. So, God, we call that forth and we receive the favor of God in Jesus' name. You know, the Word of God promises that. It says, those who walk uprightly before me, he said, I'll withhold no good thing. So an opportunity to give is an opportunity to invoke God's favor because he says, if you give, I'll give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He says in Malachi, if you give, he says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven. I'm going to pour out so greatly you can't even contain it. That's God's favor. That's God's favor. So we're going to give you an opportunity to sow into what's going on here. This We just appreciate all the support. It's amazing to me how God continues to provide, and he does. We, you know, we're a house that's just, we just love God. We just want to do what he wants us to do. And and, and so we're just going to give you that opportunity. After, after you give, you're free to go, and we'll see you next week. Okay, have a great week. We're here if you need us. Love you.